Uh, folks, there was a story of a Christian who was once talking with an infidel and trying to explain to him the gospel and the Lord Jesus. And at one point, the infidel stopped him and says, you know, the problem with you Christians is you think you're perfect. And the Christian responded to him and said, no, sir, we're not perfect. Just forgiven. And today we're going to talk on the subject forgiven. Let's close our eyes and pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in that wonderful name of Jesus. We ask you, please, Lord, to speak to every heart here today. Father, my prayer is that this message would be exactly what you'd have spoken and the scriptures read and the encouragements made that would minister to every heart here and those that may be watching over the internet. Our Father, we thank you so very much for the Bible. Without it, we wouldn't have a church, we wouldn't have a life, we wouldn't have salvation. Thank you for the word of God today. As we examine this subject of forgiveness, Lord, it applies to saved and lost people, both. Both categories, those that are part of your family and those who are not. Forgiveness is such an important theme and subject. Help us today to listen with all our hearts. Please, Holy Spirit, apply it as you see fit. Again, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, the events of our story today took place in Israel in a little town called Nain, N-A-I-N. The city of Nain was a reasonably sized Jewish town located in the area of Galilee, which is more in the northern area of um, Israel. And it was southwest of the Sea of Galilee, if you can picture what that might look like. It was on the foothills of Mount Tabor. The name Nain uh, can mean charming, or it can, it can mean green pastures, which would also be very charming and pleasant. And it's thought that Nain was probably an agricultural city. Now, it's called a city because it had walls and a gate. That's what defined a city from a village or a town. And there in the city was a man, he was known as a Pharisee, which was a, the name of the religious sect of, of the Jews. They had a couple of them. And the mains were Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Pharisees, uh, they, I think, were the, in the greater number. There were more of them in Israel than there were, was of Sadducees. Anyhow, at any rate, this man would have been a Pharisee, one of the religious leaders in the city of Nain. And the Pharisees were blue-collared people. They were a working class, whereas the Sadducees were more of an upper crust. So the Pharisees believed in, in learning a trade. Paul, the Apostle Paul, used to be a Pharisee, and he learned the trade of tent making. So being working class type of people, they were not opposed to having people into their home. And so Jesus was now in town. And the Pharisee, who, by the way, was named Simon, you can see that in verse 40. That was his name. Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus to dinner. We have that in verse 36. Now we're told in verse 37 that there was a certain woman in the city of Nain. And she also came into the home of Simon the Pharisee. Now Luke records for us in verses 37 and 38 that she came in brokenness and weeping and she brought with her uh, a box called an alabaster box of ointment. 
Alabaster was a very expensive mineral, similar to marble. And so it was like a small stone box, if you will. It was not a cheap item. It was actually a very expensive box. The ointment inside the box also would have been a very costly perfume. Now, this type of arrangement, this expensive box with its expensive ointment would be the sort of thing that people would give on very special occasions, say, for example, to people getting married. This would have been a typical wedding gift, very expensive. Now, for some reason, this woman, and we don't know who she is, she had one of these and she brought it with her and she made a gift of it to Jesus. While she was doing so, her emotions got the better of her and she could not stop weeping. She was absolutely heartbroken as she wept and washed his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head and then anointed him with this oil. Now, it was uh, customary in those days to treat guests in your home with as much courtesy as possible. Guests would often be welcomed into the home with a kiss on the cheek. A servant or a member of the family would get down and wash the guest's feet from the hot sand and grit that would get in the sandals and between the toes as people walked in that part of the country. And a foot washing was very soothing, very comforting, very relieving. It was just part of how they would honor their guests. The guest also would be treated to a little bit of oil on the forehead to help soothe the skin from the burning sun. Now, this was customary treatment to the guests there in Galilee. But for some reason, Simon, the Pharisee, Simon, the religious leader in town, never did any of these things to his guest, Jesus. But this amazing woman did. I'd like you to look, please, at verse 44. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with her tears, with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint. By the way, doesn't that sound like Psalm 23? If you read Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. Oh yeah, that one. He anointeth my head with oil. Verse 46, My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Isn't this something? What an amazing woman. Who was this woman? Some people seem to think that this is the woman who also anointed Jesus in Bethany. But that couldn't be because that was like a whole year later. A whole different city, completely different part of the country. Some people think this was Mary Magdalene, but there's no historical proof whatsoever. In fact, Mary Magdalene is introduced as a separate character in the very next chapter. And so who was this woman? Now, I'm going to go out on a limb today, and I'm going to suggest a thought to you today. Now, this thought may be right, or this thought may be wrong. But I've checked with several sources, several reliable sources, trustworthy commentaries, 
and I cannot find anything that suggests that what I'm about to tell you is wrong. However, if the thought I'm about to suggest is wrong, please do not let it detract from the overall message on forgiveness. Now, I want to explain something. When Jesus first came to the town of Nain, there was a funeral taking place. That's what greeted him as he came toward the city gate. Apparently, a young man had gotten sick and died. And many folks in the town of Nain were there at the funeral procession. They were carrying the body of the young man on a wooden structure called a bier, B-I-E-R. And it's something like a pallet with handles. And they were carrying the body out, not to be burned, but to be buried. Take a look, please, at verse 11. Chapter 7, verse 11. 7, 11. And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now, when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, weep not. And he came and touched the bier and they that stood and they that bear him stood still. And he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother And there came a fear on all and they glorified God saying that a great prophet is risen up among us and that God hath visited his people. All right. What an exciting story that is. And here's my suggestion I want to make to you today. The widow and the unnamed woman who came to the house of Simon are one and the same person. That's my suggestion I want to make to you today. Now, obviously, the woman here in the beginning of the chapter, the woman had been married. She had a husband. But uh, and she gave birth to a son. But her husband died, got sick, perhaps, and died. Maybe he had an accident and died. We don't know, but she ends up a widow nonetheless. Now, widows back then are not like widows today. There's all sorts of government safety nets in place for, for widows and people who have particular needs. There was none of that back then. Zip, zilch. Widows were in a very difficult predicament. They had no means of supporting themselves and caring for their children if they had any. And often, often the widows were taken advantage of. Now, Luke records for us in verse 37, if you look at it again, that an unnamed woman, behold, a woman in the city. Now, look at the next words, which was a what? What's that word? A sinner. What does that mean? A woman was a sinner. Well, I'll give you a hint. It doesn't mean she would cheat at playing card games. That's not what it means. It was more than likely... um, she, she was a harlot. More than likely, that's exactly what the meaning is, the unsaid meaning here. 
And so if what I'm suggesting to you today, that the two women are actually the same one, if what I'm suggesting is correct, then this poor widow woman may have had to make the awful gut-wrenching decision to sell her body in order to make money to support herself and her son. And if so, she certainly wasn't the first or the last woman to have had to make a decision like that. Now, perhaps the decision caused her to lose a lot of friends, and no doubt it would have. I believe she was a Jewish woman. She would have lost a lot of her friends. But perhaps she found some sort of sad comfort amongst other new friends, i.e. the harlots, the publicans, the tax collectors of the city. The seamy side of life may have now been the only open door of friendship for her. Possibly. Perhaps most of the people at the funeral of her son were the harlots and the tax collectors. Who knows? This is a sad proposition that I'm making to you today. That these two women were actually one woman. And for sure, I'll tell you, I'm not even sure I believe it myself. I'm not 100% convinced myself. But for now, let's suppose that it's true. For now. Over perhaps a, a number of years, a few years of doing prostitution, her son grows up into his teenage years. He's not a full-grown man. He's a young man. All this time, this woman, this Jewish woman, knows that what she's doing is wrong. She knows she's violating the very commands of God. She knows that, that uh, this can only lead to a sad end. But she can't find any other means of making money to support herself or her child. Her teenage son may have had to bear the shame of what his mother was doing for a living. But one day the boy started feeling ill and she was concerned. And then the boy got sick, really sick. No doubt this woman would have started praying and prayed earnestly, Oh God, save my son. Oh God, please heal my boy. You know, there's a, a lot of hard-hearted guys in the world that don't realize what a wonderful mom God's given them. You know that? There's a lot of lunkheads in the world today that just don't get it. And they don't realize the tremendous mother that they've been given. What a gift. That's why we honor the moms as best we can on Mother's Day and throughout the year. Praise the Lord for a mother's heart. And I believe that this woman had a tremendous heart for her son. It doesn't say she prayed, but I, I'd put money on this one, folks. She must have prayed and wept in prayer many a long night that God would spare her boy. But the day finally came when he died. And she must have been absolutely devastated. And no doubt she, she thought that this was God's righteous judicial judgment on her sinful lifestyle. But now with her son dead, what in the world would she ever do now? Her life was absolutely a mess. And with a heart so badly broken, she walks slowly out of the city gate next to the lifeless body of the closest friend she had on earth. Her son, who's now gone. And that's when Jesus shows up. Amen. Jesus raised that young man back to life and delivered him to his mother. 
A miracle, you say. I say, amen, a miracle. Great rejoicing. Unbelievable tears and shouts of joy and happiness. What an act of mercy and grace and love from God Almighty to a woman who did not deserve it. Did you catch that? Can you imagine what must have gone through her heart? What she must have thought of? How she must have said, how can this be? Me and the things I've done. How can God have mercy and love on someone like me? Why would God do this to me? Her sentence of divine judgment had just been turned into a pardon of love and mercy. Now, what could she do? What could she ever do to show her thankfulness to God? How could she repay to God this act of kindness that he has done for her? She went to the home. She got her alabaster box. And she departed. May, oh, listen. I wonder if her husband had given her that alabaster box when they got married. I wonder. But she knew the house that Jesus was having dinner in. And in humility, she went and softly crept up to the door. And she knocked. Now, Simon the Pharisee struggled with this townswoman and what she was doing in his home. And I want you to see now what Jesus said to Simon. And if you look at verse 40. Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. Now for those of us that are a little bit financially challenged, we're talking about someone who owes money and someone to whom the money is owed. He says, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors the one owed 500 pence and the other 50. Pence means it's plural for pennies. Back in those days, a working man's wage, a, a, a ditch digger, a street cleaner, would make a penny a day. A man who worked out in the fields gathering the, the harvest crops would make one penny a day. That was, an, that was considered an average wage for a working man. 500 days wages... That's over a year's salary, isn't it? Well over. What does the average working man make today? You figure that out for yourself. And that's how much money this one guy owed to the creditor. Wow, was he ever in debt. Did you know they say the average Canadian has $30,000 of debt, not including mortgage? $30,000. In credit cards, mostly credit cards, and in other sources of debt. That's a lot of money, isn't it? Are you here today and are you in debt? Do you ever wish you could be debt free? Listen, do not fall for scams. Look to the Lord, because He really can make you debt free. The other man here, the other debtor, he owed 50 days' wages. Ooh, even that. It's pushing two months worth of salary he owed to the creditor. 
Verse 42. And when they had nothing to pay, sounds like some of us these days, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Verse 43, Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. You pick up the story, you're catching this. This is interesting, isn't it? And so turning to Simon, Jesus compared what she did with what Simon did not do when he came into the home of Simon. What Simon should have done. Obviously, who loved Jesus more? Simon, the Pharisee, the religious leader, or this woman, this unnamed woman who just might be the same unnamed widow who received her son back to life again. Which one loved him most? No contest here. She was forgiven. That's the title of the message, folks. The two women in this chapter just might not be the same woman. I'll admit that. But I have no other way of accounting for how this unnamed woman appeared out of nowhere with such brokenness and tears, weeping and an alabaster box. I have no other way of explaining who she was or how she got there. What was she doing there? Hey, but think about it. Wouldn't it be just like God to arrange a circumstance like this? Wouldn't that be God's style to do something like this? A great miracle? A widow woman who had sold herself in order to stay alive, deserving really the wrath of God, but she got mercy and grace. And then she comes in brokenness, absolute tears and brokenness of thankfulness. And she comes to Jesus and gives him the best gift she possibly can to say thank you. And she's forgiven. What an unbelievable picture. Man, that's like they're in trouble and the good guys come riding up over the hill to the rescue at the last moment. It's almost like that. You know, the book of Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says these words, The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. I don't know if you're here today and you're feeling guilty over things you've done or said or maybe things you've promised and you've broken. And there's a sense of guilt in your heart and life. Well, I want you to know that you can be forgiven. I want you to know the same forgiveness that this unnamed woman received that day can be yours today. Whether you're saved or lost. Now listen, if you're lost, you're in a worse predicament. You really need to come to Jesus today and lay your broken life before him. You say, what do you mean my broken life? I mean the creepy things you've done in life. All of the lies you've told. All of the horrible things you've said and horrible thoughts you've entertained, how you've been unfaithful time and time again, and maybe even promised God or someone you'd never do it again, and then you went and did it again. That's the kind of broken life I'm talking about. And without the Lord Jesus in your life, it's only going to get worse. History will repeat itself over and over until the day you die and lift up your eyes, separated from God for all time and eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. And I beg you today, come to the only one who can give you forgiveness. If you want forgiveness, you can have it. But you must ask him for it. 
John Newton was a tremendous man of God, absolutely marvelous. He lived from 1725 to 1807, but he did not begin as a tremendous man of God. John had a godly mother who died when he was just seven years of age. His father was a sea captain and often away from home, and so he had to remarry in order to get John looked after. And the woman he remarried did not really care for John because she had other children. She was a widow, I understand. So she treated John rather roughly. When John was 11, he went off to sea with his father. When John was 17, he signed on with a merchant sailing ship to the Mediterranean. But a year or so later, in 1743, while he was going to visit friends, John was captured by what they'd call a press gang. And it was a bunch of thugs that worked for the government. And that's how they built up the Navy or the Army. In this particular case, it was the Royal Navy. And he was captured, hauled off, put on a ship, given a uniform. John tried to escape, but they caught him. And as punishment in front of all his other fellow sailors, he was stripped, tied to a mast, and he was lashed with a whip. Eight dozen times. Then they took him and put him in sickbay to recover. And while he was recovering, he thought over and over of murdering the captain and then committing suicide by jumping into the ocean. But he decided not to do that. Eventually he recovered from all those wounds and he was able to get on with a slave trading ship. Quite something. Bound for West Africa. The ship carried goods to Africa and traded the goods for slaves to be shipped to the colonies in America uh, and in Caribbean. John's life was a hard one. It really was. And he would often get drunk whenever he could. One day, the ship was in a storm and John was drunk. He, in fact, he was so drunk he fell overboard. And he would have died, perished, and gone to hell if not a fellow sailor had rescued him by harpooning him right through the leg, hauled him back up into the ship. When the wound healed, John later said it left a hole so big in his thigh he could put his fist into it. John didn't get along well with the crew of that slave ship, and so what they did when in West Africa, they left him there. They left him with a man named Amos Clow. Amos Clow was a slave dealer, and Clow bought Newton and gave Newton as a gift to his wife. Honey, I'm home and I have a gift for you, and tossed him on the ground at the feet of his wife. She treated John just as cruelly as she treated the other slaves. John thought he had the worst life in the world, and maybe he did. But one day early in 1748, John was rescued by a sea captain. A man who had been asked by John's father to go out and find my boy, search for him and bring him back to England. It was during his 1748 voyage back to England after his rescue that John Newton began to read the Bible. They had a Bible on, on board. He began to read the Bible and some other Christian literature. And by the time he finally reached Britain, John had broken down in tears. 
tears of sorrow over his life of mistakes. And he cried out to Jesus Christ for mercy and forgiveness. And John Newton was saved, born again. John ended up serving Jesus Christ as a pastor of a church for the rest of his life. In 1777, while John was pastoring in a little town called Olney, O-L-N-E-Y, he got thinking about his life and he wrote a poem a poem about his life. And he entitled the poem, Faith's Review and Expectation. Faith's Review and Expectation. Perhaps you know the poem. The first words go like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost but now am found, was blind, but now I see. John Newton's poem was later put to music, and as you can imagine, they changed the name. That name is a lame duck. John Newton's poem came to be one of the world's most famous hymns. And what do we call it? Amazing Grace. That woman who wept before Jesus in the house of Simon experienced amazing grace, didn't she? She sure did. She was a sinner. That was very clear. Did she deserve judgment of God? Yes, sinners do. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Was this the widow whose son was just raised to life? We won't really know till we get to heaven, folks. But this amazing woman brought her alabaster box. She brought her broken heart. She brought her tears to Jesus. And Jesus forgave her. And he healed her broken heart. And he restored her life. Look at verse 47 in your Bible. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? You see, folks, they didn't realize who Jesus was. Who is Jesus? He is God come in the flesh. That's who Jesus is. He has power to forgive sins. Verse 50. And he said to the woman. Thy faith. Hath saved thee. Go in peace. Folks we don't know. The name of this woman. But listen. Wouldn't it be amazing. If her name was grace. We'll find out in heaven. Did you know you can be forgiven too? You know, husbands need forgiveness. Wives need forgiveness. Children need forgiveness. And parents need forgiveness. If you're here today and you've never been born again, you don't know for sure, for sure that you'd go to heaven if you died. There's this question mark in your life. You need forgiveness. You'll only get it through Jesus. I want to put the invitation to you. Will you be forgiven? Or will you hang on 
to your bitterness. Hang on to your sin. Will you hang on to it like like a boat anchor? Or will you give it up today? Let's stand to our feet. Let's everyone stand and bow our heads and close our eyes for a word of prayer.